This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, July 6th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you to help you become a better investor and uh, impart some perspective that I've developed over the last 20 plus years of investment experience and some data which I have a lot in front of me, a lot of professional tools that I can pull up quickly and uh, get a good synopsis of different companies and and different uh, economic data points, things like that, that I will use and and blend with your questions and the topics that you bring to the table. So you set the table, you set the agenda for today's show. And of course, we don't screen, pre-screen our live calls. We take what you throw at us, and that's what we are here to do. No hidden agenda, just help encourage you to weed out the productive, bad, counterproductive uh, habits that many people have, and especially newer investors. And those, it's one of the hardest things to, to break are those natural instincts of chasing headlines and embracing your emotions and letting those emotions create your decision making and that's what we're here to do is help you break from that mold and become more like professional investors right who don't chase returns and can have a consistent productive strategy over the long term so the best talk phone lines never close 888-99 chart is how you get through and ask your question on today's show now, my main focus point looks in the story behind this question. Does the labor force need more out-of-office time? And this is a new trend in the work, workplace. And we're going to dig in some dat- into some data to see if this is a worthwhile trend or it's holding companies back. So we're going to look at that. Uh, in addition, I have some other topics to discuss. One is in regards to home builder stocks and i wanted to give you a, a primer or an overview of what's happened over really since the start of the year uh, in that sector and why it's been so strong also americans aren't quitting their jobs as much as they had recently what does that say for the job market going forward and then lastly the u.s is still the top investment destination but is that are the oh the overall flows starting to slow? So we're gonna look at some numbers there. I also have some voice bank questions to go over. One is in regards to stocks and taxes and Netflix. And of course, I have this all planned for today's episode of Invest Talk. But most importantly, your live calls will always come first at eight 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 ninety nine chart. So don't hesitate to dial that number and ask your question if you're listening on the live stream or even after hours. We'll answer it on a future show if you leave a message. Now, how does how did the market do today? Well, it was certainly a, a red day across the board. 
And really, this was on the back of the ADP jobs figure that came out today that blew away really all expectations. And what was interesting is that there are other data points that uh, on the jobs market that weren't nearly as strong. Right? The ADP employment change was nearly 500,000 jobs. Well, previous month it was 267,000. And, and the jobs number that comes out tomorrow is supposed to be right around 200,000 jobs created. So this 500,000 really was a an indication that tomorrow's number will beat and the market kind of reacted to that. Now, the ADP jobs numbers are pretty noisy. So I try not to put too much stock into it, but obviously the market certainly did. Now, an actual government number, remember the ADP is something that puts being that's put out by ADP, a private company. The government statistics that came out today, the initial jobless claims for unemployment insurance, that actually ticked up from 236,000 to 248,000. So that indicated that, no, the jobs market isn't getting materially, materially stronger. It, in fact, it's actually getting incrementally, not majorly, incrementally a bit weaker, at least based on, on, on that number. You also have the ISM services uh, index that came out today. Now the employment index did tick up. Now that was that was one indicator that certainly showed a bit of strength from shrinkage. It was a below 50 last month, and now it's above 50, 53 uh, the, 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 in this current month, or I guess you could say in June. And But the overall new orders ticked up. You had the PMI uh, tick up from 50 to 53.9. So there's certainly some strength there as well. And, you know, in total job openings, that actually ticked down. So I think it's more of a mixed bag. Uh, but obviously, the market reacted negatively. Small caps were down about 1.36%. Uh, large mid caps down around uh, a little less than 1%. So this was a weekday on the expectation that the Fed is going to get incrementally hawkish due to the economic data. But we'll get more economic data tomorrow, a big one, right? The jobs number and more coming into next, going next week. I believe we have inflation data next week as well. So... Uh, I said yesterday on the, mar- on the, on the show, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if I see a short-term little pullback here. And so far, that's what we have seen. Now, let's over- head over to our first listener question now. Hey, this is Craig calling from the mountains outside Seattle. Uh, looking at the energy sector, and I'm curious your take on ticker symbol SM. I would like to understand how it's evaluated and why. You know, I, I have a very small position, about 100 shares. But as things go down, I want to know whether or not it's worth uh, buying more. So look forward to your feedback. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. This is SM Energy. It's an independent energy company. does uh, exploration and production development of crude oil and condensate, natural gas, and natural gas liquid. So it's a, it's a smaller E&P, only about a $3.6 billion market cap. And it yields, a dividend yield, right around 1%. So not a big dividend payout, but it's, it could easily raise that based on what it's earning right now. So I could see that, that dividend going up. So I like that. Enterprise value to even is 2.1%, very, very low uh, for a name like this. Uh, or you know, th- these type of names do trade kind of low multiples versus the larger names, which tend to trade more like four or five times uh, e- enterprise value to EBITDA right now. Uh, this one's closer to two. So compared to those larger names, it's, it's cheaper. And but then maybe it should be right because it is smaller. Uh, 
Now, the technicals are, I would say, neutral, very similar to the, the broad energy uh, complex as a whole. Now, if you look at this compared to some of the larger names, it's really been, let's see, let me pull back a larger chart here. Yeah, it outperformed when energy prices really went up. So this is uh, this is going to have a much higher beta to the energy sector as a whole, meaning if energy does well, this will do probably better than the average stock and vice versa. So I, I kind of like it. I kind of like the profitability. It's certainly a much higher risk than you see with the Exxons or the Chevrons, uh, mainly because they're just a straight EMP company. They don't have the refining business, the chemical business like those, those larger names have. Uh, historically, their, their profitability ebbs and flows with the overall uh, industry. So it's certainly not a name that I, I put, in a, put in a drawer and forget about, but it's a solid company at reasonable valuations, trading at about five times forward-looking earnings. Once again, room for that, uh, that dividend to grow. I like that. Uh, so I'm going to give SM Energy a thumbs up, but understand it is much higher risk than your typical large-cap uh, E&P company, exploration production company within the oil space. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank, or if you're listening via the live stream on AM 1220 in Silicon Valley, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART. When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap, because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. The stock market is constantly changing, and now with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on InvestTalk. 888-99-CHART. Hello, Justin or Steve. My name is Darrell. I'm calling from California. My question is about Netflix and just wondering if it's a good time to buy. Again, that's Netflix and FLX. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, taking a look at Netflix, and this has had a major comeback from its lows in the fall. Sorry, just pulling up this chart here. And the lows were right around $150 per share. Yeah, 100, or sorry, 170. Yeah, there you go. 170 was the 52-week low. And the high was right on $700 per share. So quite the drop from 700 at the end of 2021, all the way to a low in, let's see, when was this? 
actually it was summer last year uh, when this uh, when it hit its low, and then it's rallied all the way to four thirty eight. Now here's the deal with Netflix. They have a very sticky business, but it's a business that is capital intensive, meaning that they need to spend a lot of money, a lot of money on the production of new content. And they've had some major hits, right? What's the uh, Stranger Things? Uh, They've had a few more, you know, major hits, but they spend a lot of money on content. And they actually did very well during the pandemic. Why? Because they actually had to stop stop producing as much content. It was just more difficult because of work from home environments and COVID policies, et cetera. And that's what they went from $4 a share in earnings 2019 all the way to $11 in 2021. Last year, it reached hence to 998. Uh, and their cash flow uh, certainly suffered. So their free cash flow went from... billion all the way down to negative at the end of 2021 uh, and then all the way back up to 3 billion recently. So the, the, the longer term trend I think is positive, but you're paying a very high multiple price sales right now around six times enterprise value to EBITDA about 10. Uh, Would it say it's a good time to buy it? No, I I don't love their, their long-term ability to produce quality content. They've spent a lot of money and they only have a handful of hits to really, uh, really show for it compared to like an HBO who's been doing it a long time and they have hit after hit after hit and their value there and their expertise is is certainly valued. So uh, I don't think this is a good time to get a Netflix after this run. Uh, I don't find it to be a, a great investment at these prices. All right, let's go to Mike in San Jose. Let's talk about 3M again. Um, hi, Justin. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I, I don't know if someone else asked the question. I, I bought it um, a few months ago at the run 105, and then I was wondering, should I just uh, call my losses or just hang on to it? Because I would have some lawsuits problem with, uh, with the headset that they had. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but it pays like a 6% dividend. I don't know if that's... Uh, yeah, think? well, well, this is exactly something we had a call yesterday on 3M. So yeah, we, I talked about it then and it was, uh, yeah, I'll give you the same answer, which is the, the litigation issues hanging over its head uh, just create way too much uncertainty around their, their valuation and, the, and their business. And their business is not doing hot either with four quarters in a row of negative sales growth and five, four of the last five quarters of negative earnings growth. And then you had top of the litigation issues, top of that, the debt issues, uh, you know, it's a 6.2% dividend yield is irrelevant. If you're just losing, you know, 15, 20% a year in price depreciation of the stock, right? So once again, never focus on the dividend. Dividend is, I don't want to say dividend is irrelevant, but it's, it's very low on the list of variables that you should be considering when you're trying to own a business. That's what you're doing here, right? So when you're buying a stock, you're, uh, you're, you're spending ownership. You're buying ownership in the business. And there's too many things uh, over, 
overhead with 3M that uh, just makes me not want to own it at this time. Certainly one in your watch list to see if these issues kind of get cleared up and maybe it's one to, to jump into. But at this time, the technicals, the fundamentals and the litigation problems are just too heavy and it's not something that I would own. Now we're heading into a break. I welcome your finance investment questions now. So give InvestTalk a call at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, my focus point today looks into the story behind this question. Does the labor force need more out of office time? And for many workers, it's a challenge to disengage from the office. And more than 55% of the U.S. workforce says they don't fully unplug from their job. And... This is really interesting because 17% say they st they stay fully connected away from work. And this is one of, I think, the downsides of the whole work from home environment is not only the discussion I had, I believe it was earliest week or last week about how it's hard to create a good culture, good corporate culture, when everyone's working from home and that kind of face FaceTime, uh, I guess, uh, pun intended there, uh, is important to collaboration and engagement uh, with your your colleagues. But it's also when you work from home, you're kind of always thinking about what your job may entail and what things you need to do. Because when you go into the office five days a week, oftentimes that's your line in the sand. Uh, and it's okay when I get in my car and I go and drive in the office, that's the transition time. And people underrate that it's transition time between your home environment and your home mind to your work switch, right? That switching over to your work mind and, and focusing uh, on that. Uh, and oftentimes we don't get that, uh, when you're working from home, that's why I know I, I walk the dog in the morning and that's kind of my delineation that, okay, the, the morning is, is done. And now I'm transitioning now into, to, into work mode, you know, the days at least that I am, I am working from home. So it, it's not a shock to see that it's difficult for employees to really disengage fully from their job and that they need more, more true vacation time where they're truly unplugged and that helps reduce employee burnout. Employees report overall mental health, increased job satisfaction, and being more engaged and productive when they do return from vacation. And, you know, previously it was the pay for performance culture. And that's really driven a lot of companies here in the U.S. that, uh, and it's negatively impacted a lot of performance by employees because they're, because of that pressure. Uh, and not enough time to fully take uh, away from work. So obviously it's about how do you truly disconnect, right? Having people that can make decisions in an absence, knowing that if there is a major problem that 
they will reach out to you. They know where to, where, where to contact you, but otherwise you can, you can fully disengage. Now, 84% of employees surveyed say remote work makes it easier to get away on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but like I said, it makes it harder to fully, to fully unplug. So I wanted to highlight that because it's, it's really interesting to see how this is evolving. And, and this is one of the biggest, one of the biggest secular trends probably of our lifetime. Just think of how much the lives of the office worker has changed since the pandemic and what type of impact that has, has on the population. You talk about migration to different cities or out of different cities. And then the impact on the broad economy and the companies within that economy. It's, it's so important to follow and understand where this is headed. It's still, I don't think it's fully understood where exactly it is headed because there's so many studies, some of them are conflicting, some just haven't been done yet to really see what makes sense holistically for the worker, for uh, the companies as well. So uh, very interesting to follow those trends. Now let's pivot back to the Investock Voice Bank. This came in earlier on 8 at 8 99 chart. I'm just wondering what you think about Lockheed Martin uh, as far as next Two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. I appreciate it. I'll be listening for an answer. Thank you. Well, uh, we're getting a lot of repeat questions. I feel like we, I, I answered this yesterday or the day before. And, uh, you know, Lockheed is within that aerospace and defense business. And th this stock has really traded sideways for the better part of a year and a half now. Earnings growth has basically gone flat. And... I don't believe that over the longer term you're going to you're going to get the same type of spending on military as you have over the past 50 60 years. You know, I think most Americans can agree that the military industrial complex is probably bad control. There's a lot of overcharging and overspending and our endeavors into global wars and global uh, Policing is our, we probably more overstep our boundaries than not do enough, right? I think most people would agree with that. And then you add on top of that the amount of debt that we have and the part of our budget that is going towards defense. And now the part of our budget that is going towards interest. We're going to have to, if we're going to keep paying that interest, we're going to have to start crowding out some other types of spending. And I see more fiscal spending on infrastructure. Just look at the Inflation Reduction Act and the uh, CHIPS Act that was passed last year. More industrial policy that will uh, be more the focus of government spending. And I think start to crowd out a lot of military spending. So I don't see Lockheed being a fantastic investment at this time. I just think there's better opportunities. All right. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this question. When should you own the underlying components rather than the fund of funds? You could save on fees, but the do-it-yourself approach could be more trouble than it's worth. Steve will get in that story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. Let's say... You've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it?
Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture. I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value. So your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI Red Teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's talk, talk about housing stocks. And some of the largest builders, Pulte is up uh, 70% this year. DR Holton, Holton and Lennar are more, both, both up more than 30%. Now, disclaimer, we've uh, um, owned Pulte for a while, it's our favorite, uh, for a while, for 
mainly the reasons that they they focused on the south uh but they're they're broad based um but they're clearly outperforming this year and to a lot of people's surprise but if you look at the data and you don't follow just the narrative that higher rates are, are bad for quote unquote housing then you'll understand exactly why and Newer data, the newest data on the housing market makes it even more advantageous for the home builders, meaning new listings in May of existing homes decreased by 25% from the previous year. Decreased. It was the sharpest decline on record, well, since May 2020, since the pandemic. And But nationally, there are only 1.08 million existing homes for sale or in a contract at the end of May. In May of 2019, pre-pandemic, there was nearly double 1.91 million. New home sales as a percentage of home sales went from 15% in early 2018 to 19% this year. And the largest builders are the ones that are benefiting the most. The top three publicly traded ones, DR Horton, Lennar, and Pulte, have seen their share of new home sales rise from 22% to 31% over the past five years. So the big ones with the ability to actually get supply out there, they've been benefiting the most. You know, last year, a lot of them were still dealing with supply chains. And this is where being large and having a lot of experience allowed these three companies to capitalize the most because they knew how to deal with supply chains that were were tight. They have a lot of suppliers they can pull from. You know, if one goes out or one short, they can turn to another to find the products that they need to put into their homes. Now, generally, the largest home building markets are in South Florida and Texas, and those markets are benefiting from major corporate trends, relocation, and uh, a very strong jobs market. In addition, retirees are looking to move to those places as well. Why? Low taxes in those states. The 55 and older communities are going like gangbusters. Because so many retirees are selling their homes in expensive markets and trading quote unquote down, cashing out a lot of equity and buying in these 55 and older communities in many of these southern and Midwest markets. Now, new home sales were up 12% in May from the previous month and 20% year over year, while existing home sales in May were up only 0.2% month over month and down 20% year over year. Now, this time last year, home builder stocks were in the gutter. For somewhat good reason, National Association of Home Builders showed that home builder sentiment fell in a big way last year. And around this time last year, home builder stocks were down about 20% on the year. And this goes to show you that Chasing that performance is oftentimes the worst way to go. It's about understanding where sentiment is and getting ahead of it. And often it's the other way as well. When you, you're in a, in a position, you know, this is the time where we're actually trimming 
our Pulte holding. We're, you know, we're, we're cutting back, we're taking profits. When you see these articles that are coming out and everyone talking about the great performance, that's usually the time you want to be thinking about lowering risk in that area, not taking more. Now let's swing back to the Talk Voice Bank at 888 chart Hey, Stephen Justin, Bill from Virginia here. I got a tax question. So say that I buy a stock, put $10,000 in it, and eventually it goes to $20,000. If I pull that initial investment of $10,000 out and sell, is that taxable? Even though I'm pulling the original amount that I invested in and is essentially no capital gains, just a little confused in that aspect of things and looking forward to hearing your answers. Thanks so much. Well, I'm assuming you're talking about a taxable account, taxable brokerage account. And the answer is you'd be taxed 50%. So you, you can't just take out the initial and not pay on, on, on the gains there. Uh, there are some things like a DST that we talked about in our webinar last week uh, for highly appreciated assets, meaning if you have capital gains of seven figures plus, that can th- th- there are ways to defer that and, and, and pull some money out, et cetera. Um, but if you're just talking, you know, low dollar amount like that, ten thousand that turns into twenty thousand, you sell half of it. Well, that means you're going to sell half your shares, and so your cost basis on half those shares is not ten thousand; it's five thousand. And you pulled out ten, so you're going to pay taxes on five thousand that you've pulled out. I hope that helps. Pretty simple there, uh, and yeah, it's just selling particular lots, and you have to figure out which lot you want to sell. Maybe you have one purchase, right? You bought uh, that ten thousand and one buy. That's one lot. Maybe you bought it over various time frames. Maybe twenty five hundred each over uh, four different purchases. Then there's different lots that you can choose based on your broker, which one you sell, etc. Right. Now let's play another question now. Hey, Stephen Justin, this is Mike calling from Detroit. I wanted to increase my exposure to the natural energy space uh, as an ad- next addition to my portfolio. I uh, came across two stocks that I was looking at, Occidental Petroleum and Devon Energy, uh, DVN. Wondering which one you would pick. Uh, if it came down to it, should I add a little bit of both? Are these uh, good prices to pick them up at? Let me know your thoughts about the companies, please. Appreciate everything you do for us on the show. Thank you very much. Have a good day. All right. Looking at Occidental Petroleum and Devon Energy. We had a question on Devon Energy yesterday compared to another name, but let's look at Devon Energy compared to Occidental. Now, Occidental's kind of been in the news as of late in regards to Warren Buffett buying a lot of shares of Occidental. Now, these are both very large companies. Occidental has about a $51 billion market cap. Denvin Energy, about a $30 billion. So definitely both in the large cap E&P space. Let's see. Oxy, I know they were more shale related, but they are more worldwide. Once again, larger $50 billion market cap. Uh, both have a decent amount of debt. Oxy, they almost went bankrupt during during COVID uh, and because they had a lot of debt. They've obviously paid a lot of that down. Luckily, they've gone from, let's see, ooh, $47 billion in debt in September of 2019 all the way down to $19 billion now. So they've used a lot of that cash flow to continue to pay down debt. I like that. Their dividend yield is is pretty high. 
but it looks like they've cut that dividend. Yeah, let me see this. Oh, actually, never mind. Yeah, it's actually low, only 1% yield, whereas Devin pays a higher dividend yield. But Devin also has a good amount of debt. Their longer-term profitability is weaker. And so I'm going to say, if I'm picking one or the other, I'm going to go with Occidental. I like the diversity of their business worldwide and the fact that uh, they are, are bigger. All right. So I'm going to take Occidental over Devon Energy. Remember, don't chase that dividend, chase the business. And Occidental just has a better business. All right. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 88992 4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now let's take a look at some recent job data, not just the the amount of new jobless claims that was reported today, but also quitting. Americans voluntarily left 4 million jobs in the month of May, according to the Labor Department. This was reported on Thursday. Uh, actually, reported today. Yep. And it dropped, that, that's a drop from 500, of around 500,000, from 4.5 million in November of 2021. That was the highest level of quits. And the quit rate has averaged 2.5% from March to May. That's down from 3% as recently as April of last year. It's only slightly higher than pre-pandemic levels. And I think that's important right there is it's, it's come down, but it's still above pre-pandemic levels. And this, the quit rate is an indicator of really the strength of the jobs market because you're not really going to quit your job if you don't feel confident that you're going to go find a new one. Most people quit their jobs because they're ready to step right into another one. And so if they don't have those opportunities, it's pretty clear that the jobs market is weakening. And there's probably a few reasons for that. Once again, jobs market weakening. Also, I think employee pay has gone up. And some people are, are happier. There's been more benefits, more vacation days often that many employees are getting. And certainly that's one reason why they, uh, they're they happy with their job. Also, I think another is inflation. The fact that inflation has started to come down, if you look year over year, it's still you know four-ish percent. But if you look more over the past through six months, it's more like two, two and a half percent back to what we've kind of been used to. Uh, and so if your pay has gotten that nice boost, but you're not feeling the effects of inflation as much, your, your real wage gain has been pretty good. And so you have less reason to go and search for a better job. So uh, really interesting data that came out along with uh, some of the other employment data. And yeah, I, I wanted to, to highlight that. But underneath the surface, job market still weakening modestly. Let's go to Nick in Manhattan Beach. And let's talk about AWEVF. Is that what it is? Yeah, um, it, it sort of depends on your brokerage. It's, a, it's listed on the London Stock Exchange. Okay. The company is called Alpha Wave Semi. Mm -hmm. I gave you a call, Justin, about them in January, I believe. Uh, I started buying shares then. Um, it's a relatively new company. It's, um, it's a sort of a quasi-intellectual property vendor um, and also a custom silicon company. It's fabulous in the semiconductor space. And they have certain leading-edge products called serial deserializers, which mm -hmm. are key components of um, chips used in data centers in particular. And they, they sort of help the, uh, the mass transmission of uh, you know, bits, bits of data 
from chip to chip and also within the data center from um, you know the networking boxes. They sort of make um, the, the flow of data more energy efficient, uh, more speedy, generally things that, um, that the hyperscalers, the, the data center companies would be very, uh, financially very interested in. Uh, there's, their business has been booming. Um, the market, there's a very, you know, sort of a significant short report on them. It sent the stock down about a year ago. Um, it had a very poor 2022. It's since been rebounding. Um, I was wondering your take on the financials because they're they're a little um, hard to understand. And I was wondering if your platform gave you good insight into the financials and what you thought about them. Thank you. Uh, yeah, these these foreign names they often can be difficult to find good good data on. Uh, let me try to pull right. up another piece of uh, software that we that we have uh, that often has. Some pretty good data. Fidelity, on. terrible. Yeah, well, the, the four names they, they don't have the the listing or the the reporting requirements at like our exchanges, right? So, and most of the data providers, they're the ones that are 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 getting the data right. They have they have relationships with NYC and the Nasdaq, and and they're the ones that are are right. getting this uh, this stuff. And it's often very difficult or inefficient for them to go overseas and, and gather a lot of data from them. So let me pull up this other one. Hmm. So I'm not getting quite as much as I would have hoped. Uh, but what, from what, let me just say what I, what I do see is a company that it sounds great, but it doesn't seem like they're able to create a lot of, profitability from this IP as of yet, as of yet, let's just say that, um, sales this year, next, this year are expected to go up dramatically up a hundred and let's say, yeah, this, this has been growing dramatically, but it's overall profitability has still remained negative. Um, you see shares outstanding has been flat. That's good. Actually, no shares outstanding just recently went up. Free cash flow has been is, is still negative, um, mainly because of capex spending. You know, their net operating cash flow is is hovering around positive, which is okay, but they're having to take a lot of it and issue more shares in order to spend on capex. And I don't know what that capex is. Are they building their own fabs, or what? What is it that they're spending this capex on? Um, so it's an interesting name. It sounds like you work in the space, Nick. Yes, I do. Okay, so you 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 clearly know the value of this IP, but you know what type of broad application is it is it really going to have? So far, it doesn't seem like it's having at least a uh, broad application that's incrementally positive for profitability. They've been struggling to remain positive uh, over the past five years. So, I, I it's a very mixed picture on the fundamentals, and that's why I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock, should you say, um, in the recent move. Although, you know, you're starting to find some positive momentum. And that's probably the best I could say out of this is, you know, a lot about the IP, you're confident in it, the technicals are starting to line up, the fundamentals are okay, but not great. Um, so having a small position in this, I wouldn't mind it. All right. Well, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here each and every weekday is help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. James from San Jose, hang on. We will get to your question next on Invest Talk, 888 99 chart. 
Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Let's go talk to James in San Jose. He wants to talk about JP Morgan. Hi, James. Uh, hi, Steve. Uh, question for you. Uh, I'm looking sure. at the money market funds offered by JP Morgan. There are roughly about eight or nine of them. Okay. I'm, I'm debating whether I should uh, pick one of them to put my money in from uh, when my CDs mature next week, or if I should pick two or three uh, money market funds, uh, and if so, which ones? So why would you want to spread out them amongst the money market funds? Uh, I, uh, risk. I, I don't know if there is uh, just to distribute the risk. I mean, if I was to pick one, then which one would it be? Uh, I think there are like three of them which are returning about 5%. Uh, let's see. I don't have, let's see, I have different share classes. Uh, let's see. I have to take a look at these. I don't, I don't know them off the top of my head. I don't see any reason why you'd want to spread them around okay. too much. Uh, I don't see any, okay. any real reason for that. Uh, I'd have to look at them. Let's see agency. Yeah, there's different ones here. Uh, you know, there's not much risk. I, I don't think in money market funds. Now, one thing you have to consider is you're, you're talking about going from CDs to money market funds. Understand that that 5% that it yields today, it is not guaranteed to yield that three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, know that money market rates are right. floating, right? They're investing in short-term securities. Most of these securities mature in two, three, four, six weeks, right? These are all almost all very, yep. very short-term instruments. And so going from a CD where you know you're getting X percentage over X time frame. That's, that's a different endeavor. So I would say that unless you have this money earmarked for something, right? What's this money earmarked for? Are you, are you using it to buy something or is this more just an investment? Uh, to buy uh, real estate in the, maybe in the near future. Oh, in the near future. Okay. Well, if then that's the case, then that makes sense, right? Because you don't want a loss of principal, but you also don't want to lock that money up and have... Uh, some sort of penalty if you if you want to uh, cash that out. So that makes sense. And so, uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't feel the need to spread them out. I don't, I think all of them are are, are going to be uh, very safe, especially in your term. Okay. Thanks for okay. the call. Okay. Now let's head over to some data in regards to foreign investment flows and foreign investment in the U.S. fell to two hundred eighty five billion dollars. Last year, that's from 388 billion in 2020. Excuse me, in 2021, and a lot of this is because of a, sh a sharp fall in foreign purchases of American companies. Now, there's probably two reasons for this. One, strong dollar. I think it's number one. When the dollar is strong, foreign investors, foreign countries, becomes more. Expensive to buy assets here in the U.S. And then on top of that, a lot of the names, large cap names that are 
domestic companies, they fell in price in a big way. And so a lot of them were scared off to put more money as the Amazons of the world, the Googles of the world were falling 30, 40, 50%. Now, globally, new overseas investment by businesses did fall 12% from 2021 to, to uh, 2022. So this was kind of a broader trend that countries were investing in other countries less last year. A big reason that is higher cost of capital as well, right? It's more expensive to borrow money to go and put a new factory in, uh, buy another company, etc. That drop made last year the worst year for foreign investment since 2009, if you exclude the 20, 2020, which was obviously skewed by COVID. Now, what you can say is, based on all those factors I talked about, it was actually more resilient than would be expected. In the UN, you actually saw a rise in investment there. Once again, currency fluctuations. So uh, interesting trends, uh, but overall, I think uh, it was pretty resilient that uh, the rest of the world is still investing in America. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.